0: looking at Mark 9. So if you've brought a Bible or if you use the Bible in your phone, then you might want to have that open in front of you. Um, We're specifically looking at the end of Mark 9 from verse 38. But in order to understand that, we're going to just skip through the whole of Mark 9 before we get there. Um, And as Lydia said, we've kind of got this theme of circles today. But when we read the scripture, you will notice circles are not mentioned um, in, in here. But don't worry, all will become clear later on. So, in Mark 9, verse 2, it, we see the transfiguration of Jesus, which is witnessed by Peter, James, and John. And then in verse 14, we see that as they come down the mountain, um, there, all the other disciples are arguing on the, um, on the mountain, and there's a crowd that's gathered. And um, in verse 17, we see that there is a man, and he's brought his son to be healed. His son is pos- um, possessed by demons. He's foaming at the mouth, he's unable to speak, he's having fits, and the Father has desperately brought him to be healed by Jesus or by Jesus' followers. Jesus then commands the Spirit um, to leave the boy, and it does, and he's healed. And then in verse 28, the disciples asked Jesus why had they not been successful? So they had been trying to cast out that spirit before Jesus had got there. They hadn't been successful in doing that. And they say, why, could we, why, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said that some spirits can only be um, forced out by prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but that throws up some questions for me. So if they weren't praying, then what were they doing? Like, how were they trying to cast out this spirit? Were they trying to use some magic words? But like he says that you you have to pray, and so there's an insinuation that maybe they hadn't been praying to do that. Verse 33, um, which says a bit later on, Jesus then asks, what had you been arguing about on the mountain? And they sheepishly reply that they were arguing about who among them was the greatest. So again, there's an insinuation here that, and like reading between the lines, it looks like this the disciples who were without Jesus had been presented with a boy that needed healing. He was possessed and they had launched into an argument potentially like over who should do it. I should do it. No, no, I'm better than you because I so I should do it. I, I, I'm older than you. And they argued about it and then tried to deal with it without prayer. So it's not like ideal situation here. And then Jesus says, whoever accepts a child like this in my name accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And the child here is symbolic for, for anyone who is in need, anyone who is helpless, anyone um, who's homeless, disabled, mentally ill, sick, uneducated, anyone that's like, needs help. That's... The the child is symbolic of that. And so by accepting people in need in the name of Jesus, then we accept God and we accept the gospel. So that's where we're up to when we look at verse 38. So Mark 9, verse 38 through to 41 says, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can, in the next moment, say anything bad against me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. So bearing in mind all that has just happened and how Jesus is kind of teaching them how to cast out demons and they've had a go at it and they've not been successful at it. And Jesus is then talked about using the power of his name to welcome people in. John brings up this thing that happened earlier. And I kind of imagine John, maybe with a bit of an ego saying this, like, teacher, I I totally get what you're saying. Like, I'm with you on this. Because earlier on, we saw someone using your name to drive out demons, but don't worry, we told him to stop. It's fine, because he was not one of us. And so Jesus then teaches again, no, don't tell him to stop, because he's using my name. Therefore, he's not against me. He's with me. And sometimes when we read the Bible, it seems like the disciples just don't get it. Like, you know, there's times where for us reading it, it's so obvious what Jesus is saying. And the disciples are just not getting it. But for me, this is one of those times where I'm with them. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, one thing, you're saying this and then you're saying this. and I'm trying to keep up with you. And the Jewish law had very, very clear rules. It was black and white. It was like, don't do this, do do this. And then Jesus brings so much gray into it or even so much color into it. He's teaching nuances. He's teaching that people are more important than rules. He's saying, yes, accept people in my name, but and some demons need to be driven out with prayer. But he's also saying that it's okay for this man to use his name, even though he's not necessarily accepted Jesus himself. And what's really interesting is that this man who's using his name is actually finding some success in casting out the demons. Where the disciples didn't have success in casting out those demons, this man that we don't know anything about that's potentially not even a follower of Jesus is having success. So there's so much learning going on here and in order to Um, in order to learn, what we see here is people having a go. We see them trying things. We see them taking risks, making mistakes. That's what we see the disciples doing. They're having a go. They didn't get it right. They argued and they they weren't successful, but they were having a go. We see this man who doesn't even necessarily know Jesus or hasn't necessarily accepted Jesus having a go and actually being successful in using Jesus' name to cast out demons. And that is so like um, part of who we are here at G2 and and part of our DNA. So if you're new or if you're just trying us out today, then we really value tryers here. We really value just trying stuff. We value experimenting and just letting people have a go at things and taking risks. and, And we know that it's okay to get things wrong and make mistakes and then learn and grow from that. And that's what we see happening in this passage. We see John, who's also known as the son of thunder, implying that he's quick to anger. He is quick here to jump in on this man who's using Jesus, Jesus' name to drive out demons. He's quickly decided that's not okay. And and he forbade him. And I think even that's interesting in itself. How how does John think that he has permission to forbid someone from using Jesus' name? Why Why does he think that's okay in the first place? But John crucially says he was not one of us, or in other versions it says he did, he does not follow us, but he uses the word us. He's not in our group. He's not in this little circle that we've got here. He has created a circle around Jesus and the people that follow Jesus. And he's kind of forgotten that the group is not who people follow. It's Jesus who people follow. He's created a group, he's drawn a circle around it, he's jumped in quickly to forbid someone, and including himself in this very special group, John himself has made a mistake. Now remember, Jesus did have people that were against him, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had been against Jesus right from the beginning. But this man, this exorcist, this person that's having a go at driving out demons, he's not the enemy the exorcist's work, what he's doing here, is actually totally in keeping with Jesus' ministry. He's joining in. He's having a go. And it doesn't, maybe he doesn't necessarily meet like the standards of a disciple that would be expected, but Jesus shows sympathy for him, for having a go, and encourages his disciples to do the same. John's drawn this little circle around Jesus and his disciples, and it doesn't include this man. But Jesus redraws the circle to include him. He might not yet even be a follower, but if he's not against Jesus, then he is for him. And it's interesting because there's quite a similarity there to the disciple of Matthew, which we're looking at in our small groups at the moment and sometimes on our Sundays, because we know that Matthew was called to be a disciple before he had repented. Jesus, um, Matthew was a tax collector and he was considered a sinner, considered an outcast. But Jesus called him from that place and he joined the disciples before he'd really sorted out like his life issues. Jesus is always bringing people into the circle who shouldn't be there. Sinners, lepers, and now this guy who's just using his name. But what's beautiful is that Jesus doesn't rebuke John. He just teaches him. He helps him to open his eyes. He helps him to make that circle wider and teaches him more about the grace of the gospel. He, hope, he helps John to see that the circle isn't small. It's big and there's room for everyone. And this is quite a big part of my story to faith. When I started university, age 18, I had never been to church in my life. I didn't know anything about Jesus, I I wasn't a disciple, I'd never read the Bible, and now somehow 20 years later I'm a leader in the Church of England without even being ordained and I'm not entirely sure how that's happened, but what I do know is that along the way people have invited me in and they've taken a chance on me. Before I was even a Christian when I was at university, um, some of my friends who went to church, they were going out on a Friday night and handing out sweets and water to people that were queuing to go into the student union. And I asked if I could go along. Now, they could easily have said no, because what they were doing is handing out sweets. And when people said, why are you doing this? They were saying, well, we're from the local church. And they were telling people about Jesus. They were telling people about church and inviting people. So it was a little bit weird that I went along and I was handing out these sweets and people were saying, why are you doing it? And I was like, Well, we're from the local church, which I'd never been to. Um, And they were like, oh. And then I was telling people about church, even though I didn't know anything about it. But my friends could have said no. They could have said, no, you can't come with us to hand out sweets because you're not a Christian. They could have made their circle small and put me on the outside of it. But they invited me in. And that's how the journey started for me. That's how my faith journey started. Then when I was in my 20s here in York, Um, I was part of G2, and um, I got invited into the leadership team. And at the time, it was all men. They were all a lot older than me. And they could so easily have kept that circle small, but they made the circle bigger, and they made room for someone that was young and female and feisty and thought she knew all the answers. And over time, I've been released to do so much here, to lead meetings and to start small groups and just try new things. And so many times I've got things wrong, and I still do get things wrong. But it's, it's about opening that circle and giving space for people to try. Ultimately, people kept letting me into their circles of trust. But they did let me in, and it would have been easier to keep me out. So in this passage, when we see Jesus call the disciples to this more inclusive vision, whoever is not against us is on our side. Now in the gospel of Matthew we see Jesus saying whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters but here in Mark it's the other way around if you are someone that is not against Jesus then you are included in the circle with him and i think more and more we need to hear that message in a in a church across the world across the UK that Is fragmented on so many lines. You know, it's so easy to notice our denominational differences, our doctrinal differences, our racial differences, socio-economic, liberal, conservative, social action, evangelical, charismatic, non-charismatic, young, old, traditional, non-traditional. It's so easy to draw circles around our churches. and, And it's really tempting to regard people that aren't in our circle as inferior to us. And it's easy to think we've got it right. A couple of weeks ago I went to a, a totally different church to get confirmed by the bishop. It was part of the process and I needed to do it. And I went to this lovely, very traditional church. And it was just so different to g too. Like the leaders paraded down the middle, you know, they were holding staffs, they had robes on, we all had service sheets, it was, it was um traditional hymns. And at first I just found myself self thinking, oh my goodness, what are you doing? You've got it all wrong. This isn't how to do church. But alongside me was an, a 17-year-old getting confirmed and an 18-year-old getting confirmed. And I felt so challenged by that because I thought, there's fruit here. There's fruit. There's people giving their lives to Jesus. Who am I to sit here and judge that this is wrong? It's not wrong. It's amazing what they're doing. That's they're building the kingdom. They're just doing it in a different way to us. And I actually really enjoyed that as, as God just released me to enjoy. And it's something that's entirely different to what we do. We're all the church, the wider church. We're all part of the church, the church in York and the church of England and the church of the world. This week, I went along to One Voice, which is where all the leaders across York gather to pray together And it was just such a blessing to to be in the same room. And know there's no competition. We're not fighting each other. We're building together. We just want to bless each other. And so I guess I just want to finish with like a bit of a challenge. The first one is, are there areas in your life where you're being like John? I know there's areas in mine where I'm putting myself in a discipleship circle and I'm putting other people on the outside of it. I'm deciding that someone isn't in and they're out. And part of the reason why we did these circles on the table is just to provoke that thinking. Are there people that are in certain circles and they're not allowed in other circles? Are there people in your friendship circles and they're not in your church circle? And why is that? Because Jesus always makes the circle bigger. Where do we need to make it bigger? Where do you want to invite more people in? And then the other challenge is even for us as a church, as a community that that exists like this, because even here we view people in circles. Usually it's done by age and stage. We've got kids, we've got youth, we've got students, we've got adults, as if students aren't adults. You are, don't worry. It's just that often we say students and then adults. (laughs) 20s and 30s, olders, the olders. If you're you're over 40, you're ancient here. Sorry, Luke. (laughs) I'm 39 I'm young then we've got families we've got non-families then we've got people that don't really fit into that we've got people who maybe have got grown-up kids so they are a family but then they're not a family anymore because it's just them again and they don't fit anywhere or people of who maybe are in their 30s but haven't had children and where do they fit in but we are one church and we are one circle when my children were young when they were toddlers That creche area over there, that was where I resided every week. It was the only space that I could be in because that's where they needed to be. And I used to long for people to come and talk to me, people that weren't mums, people that weren't going to ask me what buggy I'd bought for my kids because I was sick of talking about it. I wanted real conversation with real people, but no one ever did. No one ever came and talked to me over there because I was in that circle and they were in a different circle. But I couldn't leave. I couldn't go somewhere else because, you know, you can't take your eyes off a two-year-old. We often stay in our own circles. We often sit in our own circles. We often go and talk to someone that looks like us because that's easier and it's safer. And But that hinders us as a community because we're not building together. And so this... When I read this passage, that was really what I felt God was calling us to, is to like step out of these circles, to break down some of these barriers, to make sure that when we gather together, we're not just sitting with the same people every week or the same types of people. And so our response today is to do this, to, to not, not just pray about it, but to actually do it, to have a go at, at talking to different people. So Lidge, do you want to come and tell us what we're going to do next? <laughs>